Hey you, I'm Kim. And I'm Tara. Welcome to Unapologetically You. Today's guest is Lana. And holy cow, guys, stop what you are doing and go grab yourself a box of tissues because this story is unbelievable. Am I right? You are right. You are going to definitely be crying. This woman is so incredible. She's inspirational. She's gone through more trauma than anyone I've ever heard of. Her story of perseverance is the story that we all need to hear to just recognize that no matter what life throws at you, you really truly can get through it. And like Lana just radiates love and compassion and empathy. Stay tuned for the most incredible story you're probably going to hear in a long time. And seriously, grab a tissue. Welcome, Lana. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being willing to tell us your story. So since we don't know your full story, why don't we start off with what does your life look like right now? Okay, so right now I am married 20 years. Um, I'm 44 years old. I have a 21-year-old daughter who lives on her own with my grandson, who's five. And I have my son, who's 21, who is starting NIU. I have my grooming business going, and that's been wonderful, especially as of late, because I've been feeling so much better. I'm in a really good place. But you have Lyme's disease, right? Yes. How long have you been dealing with this? Um, well, I was only diagnosed one year ago this month. However, I have had it for eight years, but never knew what was wrong with me because it's a disease where nothing makes sense. And so when you go to the doctor year in and year out, they don't see a connection to anything. And finally, when the disease progressed enough and I had three uh, spinal fusions not knowing that's what it was from. It was from the parasites eating my spine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. So I had three spinal fusions. Then it went right to a hysterectomy, which turned into when I started having the heart problems. And that's when I got diagnosed. So how do they diagnose that? So what made them like finally say it's probably Lyme's disease? I got lucky. I found an infectious disease doctor that believes even if you test negative, you can still have Lyme disease based on the symptoms you present with. And the symptoms I had at that point were so severe that I wasn't even able to walk. I had what was called neuropathy, which is where your nerve endings kind of give out and everything kind of just spaz. I was in a wheelchair. It was insane. They had tested you for it and you were testing negative? Yes. And that's the problem. They haven't come up with a good way to test. And so people are probably walking around constantly. I was for seven years before knowing what is going on with me. And I almost died not knowing what was happening. Right. Because I just saw this on Facebook the other day. And so like a year ago, you were hooked up to an IV for 30 days straight. Yep. I started out, I had two months of oral antibiotics, and um, then he said my condition was so severe that we were going to start out with IV antibiotics the third month, 24-7 for 30 days, and then we would see how I progressed. And so from then on, it's just been, there's no medicine. It's pretty much just you have to wait and see what happens. 
I think unless you really grow up like in a country setting where it's like in a creek or it's by whatever it is, like you don't realize how significant tick bites can be for the rest of your life, you know? Well, right. And I, I didn't even know I was ever bit. That's the problem. And that's, and I sat and argued with the infectious disease guy. Cause I said, you know, I never had a bite. And he's like, you don't understand these ticks can be the size of a poppy seed and it could have bitten you. And as quickly as it bites you, it pops back off. It always, it doesn't always stick, you know, and stay embedded. I do have days where I feel like fantastic. But then I do have days like where I do too much. And then the next day I'm kind of like, oh, you know, just kind of sick. And so this is something now that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. Well, the infectious disease doctor says that um, it fades. He always, that's how he always puts it. You have to look at where were you a year ago to where are you today? Okay. And that's how you need to look at yourself. So he's saying like, right now I'm here and a year from now I should be significantly better. I mean, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but are there any signs that you should look for? My biggest thing was neck pain. And then like migraines is a huge sign. There's so much, but those two are, were very, very prevalent for me. But you've had several big moments that I've only sort of been able to touch upon with you that have really had the power to negatively impact you. Honestly, could have turned you into more of like a downward dark spiral, but somehow it didn't. Yeah. And honestly, your unbelievable story of perseverance is so admirable. I told Tara just the small portion of what I know about it. And you really went through the trenches and are out of it. And here you are now, right? Yeah, right. So I guess now that we've kind of touched upon Lyme's disease, and we'll kind of get more into that, I'm sure. But what was one of the biggest moments that forced you to persevere through your life? Um, when I got pregnant with my daughter, that was the first time I ever cared about anything, you know, that was important. When I got pregnant with her, it was like everything kind of made sense. And I didn't want to do to her what was done to me. Um, that was my goal. And I promised myself I would never touch hard drugs again, you know, things like that. I made huge life decisions at that moment. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that I've been perfect since then, but that was kind of like my motivation to want to live and want to get through everything I was going through. So how old were you when you got pregnant with your daughter? I was 20. And your current husband, Jeff, is not Lexi's father. Right. Were you guys married or were you dating? Like what was, what was that kind of situation like? Um, well, I was, to be plainly honest, I was uh, addicted to Coke. Mm -hmm. I moved to Texas to get sober at 20. It's been really hard. Um, there's so much that led up to that. But um, I went there thinking I was going to get a new start and it went great. I mean, I loved it there. It was wonderful and a new start. And I met this guy and um, I got pregnant and then found out he was married. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I moved back here with my mom and told him I was pregnant and he pretty much just blew me off. And so then at five months pregnant, he called me and said, uh, I want to come there. I want to be a part of her life. And I was like, oh my God, fine, let's go. Cool. Everything went great and we made plans for him to move here. And then I got the call from my mom and she said, you need to come over. I need to talk to you. I was seven months pregnant at this point. 
I got to her house and she said, I just talked to Chris's roommate, Nathan, and he told me that Chris killed himself. He put a shotgun in his mouth and killed himself. And I was seven months pregnant by myself. Oh my gosh, Lana. Yeah, so that was my, you know, if I could tell you anything, I mean, I say this is a big moment. You would look at everything else and be like, oh my God, those are big moments. But to me, this was like a breaking point where I was like, holy shit, like what else can possibly happen to me? I was so scared. You know, here I am 20. I think I was 21 already at that point. Um, and, you know, by myself, single, working at Walmart, you know, I was a manager, but it wasn't a great job, you know, and here I am living with my mom, not knowing what to do. And I just made it, it, it was like this thing in my mind. I was just like, I'm going to do this. And this is how it's going to be. It's going to be hard. But my mom promised me I'll help you as much as I can. And we just did it. I don't know how to describe it other than I just put it to the back of my head and we just did it. You know, and it's been that way since day one. Isn't that funny how, like, honestly, you can just tell yourself sometimes that, you know, I have to get through this. I'm going to make it work. Or even if it's, it's something silly, like a hard task at your job or whatever it is. Um, coronavirus season right now. Like, you know, like once you say you're going to do something, you your mind like goes to a different mental state, especially when you're when you're bringing somebody into this world, right? Like to be able to focus entirely on your daughter and creating a life for her that was better than the life you were handed is definitely something that can, that can at least push you to get through a tough moment like this. Right. Right. And then especially the fact that you had gone there to get clean and then you end up pregnant and you're like, this is great though, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to do the best I can for this baby. And then to be handed this, I mean, this could totally have gone the other way. You could have gone the complete opposite way and got back into the Coke or whatever. And you didn't. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, which is absolutely amazing. And I wouldn't, to this day, I've never touched it. And it's because of my family. That's the only thing that keeps me going is my family. You know, that means everything to me. You really, truly care about your kids, you know, and you're yeah. you're going to help them in whatever capacity you can help them, which is amazing, it, especially to start off with that rough of a start, right? So, okay, so Lexi is born. Right. And you were living with your mom and you were working. And so how, how did that, how did that whole transition work? So I was living with my mom and she ran into Jeff, my husband now. Oh my gosh, this is great. Yeah. Um, and I had worked with Jeff when I started working with Jeff at Walmart when I was 17 and he was 21 and we both had a crush on each other, but he was engaged and I was with a guy. And in the meantime, we went our own ways and we did our own thing. He got married, got divorced. I came back pregnant with a baby, <laughs> you know, had a baby and, um, he didn't care, he oh. didn't care that I had a baby. And well, okay. So my mom ran into him and that's when he didn't care. My mom said, well, you know, she's, she's going to have a baby, you know, or whatever. And he's like, that's fine. And he still took me out on a date. Oh, how amazing. I know. You don't hear about, no. you don't hear about stories like that anymore no. at all. Like that is amazing. Yeah. So I have to say that like, I've been through a lot of bad stuff, but 
I feel like God has been very good to me as well with my husband, with my kids, with my state of mind and my, I don't know, just, I just, I still love, you know, I still, I still love life. I still love people, you know, not everyone, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's honestly amazing. So, okay. So you meet Jeff, Jeff takes you out at, well, you not meet, I guess you meet up with Jeff again and he takes you out on a date. And so things just naturally progress from there. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And then um, he kind of made me mad and I broke up with him for like a little while because I had Lexi. So I was really picky. You know, just I wanted a man is my point. He came back within like three months and he was like, I want to be with you. And then, you know, we got pregnant with Luke pretty soon after we got together. And that was awesome. (laughs) Well, what's the age difference between Luke and Lexi? Two years. So then after all that, then we got married, which was amazing. So we got married after having the kids. So they were both in the wedding, which was cool. So yeah, everything was great. That was a time in my life when I felt like um, everything was finally coming together and working itself out and that the bad was behind me. It's been such a great feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was the best. I mean, my wedding and it was like, I felt like a normal person for the first time in my life. Like I, Jeff makes me feel so special, you know, like I need that. I need that bad because of what I've been through. And he just gives that to me and I'm so lucky. Well, he sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) He is. Okay. So you guys get married and you have these two young kids now. What happens from there? Are you guys living in the area still? Where are you at? Yeah, yeah, we're still, you know, we lived in South Elgin for a little while. And then um, my sister started. My sister was always, always, always an issue. Um, I don't mean to say issue, but um, difficult. Sure. Um, She was a drug addict. When we were little, she was very mean. You know, I still don't know why or whatever happened. And then she got physically abusive with me. She sexually abused me. Um, My dad was an alcoholic. He owned a bar. He was also the one that gave me cocaine for the very first time when I was 15. Oh my God, Lana, I can't, my heart is breaking for you right now. And the fact that you're able to move past that and become this incredible mother is phenomenal. I don't know how to describe it other than when you've been abused in so many different ways, you just don't want anyone else to feel that way. And I would never, ever want to put that on anyone. And so I've always done my very best to you know, really love and nurture. And that's who I am. Even, even though through everything I've been through, that's who I am. And, you know, I have a very strong faith. So it's very, it's a conflicting feeling, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, I, I have so much good, but then there's so much bad and it gets confusing. And so sometimes, you know, I really break down, you know, some days I just can't do it to be honest. Totally understandable. To still have like such a profound faith after everything that's happened to you. Often if tragic or traumas happen to somebody or if they lose significant people in their life, 
one of the first things that happens is like you either notice that they go towards God or they go away from God, right? And you to have st- to still have all this faith in God and to also have this inner strength that I'm sure is attributed to the two or to to that, right? Is phenomenal. I mean, I I don't know many people that have the strength like that or the perseverance to get through any of that. Like that's some tough self-care that you've had to go through to get through this all mentally. Right. And that's, you know, my whole life has been a um a god and devil sort of thing. So I have my mom on the left who is married to, you know, the pastor and I've got my dad on the right who owns a bar and is bringing home women and I'm seeing things I shouldn't see. And then later on when I'm, you know, a little bit older, when I'm 15, he starts doing Coke and selling Coke. And again, I've got these two worlds colliding. And in the meantime, I have my sister who had serious mental problems, was very abusive. Um, She started abusing drugs because of my dad um, and she never got out of that. Um, so as I was going back up, she was still going down. So when I had my kids and I had my wedding, she wasn't there because she couldn't be because she was that bad off. And at that point, she lived in Texas. And so then she got with a guy and they got into math. And she had never been on meth. I don't know much about meth. And all I knew was it was bad. And she got pregnant with my nephew. And so I knew that she was using on and off during the pregnancy. Now, at the same time, simultaneously, I'm just being done being married and I'm having this wonderful life happening. And now she starts going on this downward spiral like bad, 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 bad. Um, I found out that she was, you know, prostituting and doing these things that, you know, her boyfriend had her doing or she was doing and things that you just don't want to hear about. And um, they finally got a house together and they were trying to make it work, supposedly. Somehow my nephew came out and he was fine, you know, and he wasn't um, addicted to anything. Yes. Yeah. And we were, I was there. I drove all the way there, me and my mom and both my kids, we were there for her immediately. We stayed for like a month to help her. And, um, it turned into a nightmare. She started using and left us with the baby and we couldn't take him. And so we had to leave him there. By the time he was two, they were so bad on meth again. And I kept calling there every day because I was so worried about Clayton. Like, and there was nothing I can do. I had called the police so many times. Right. And I finally, I called her and she said, well, there's snakes in my Christmas tree. And I'm like, Lisa, it's October. What are you talking about? You know, and she's like, no, dude, you know, there's like tomatoes all over. And she's just totally hallucinating. So I called DCFS and they finally took him. And within two months, her boyfriend killed her. He started the house on fire. And then he called me and my mom and told us that it was my fault. And then her boyfriend just kept saying, you know, your family shouldn't have done that. You know, they shouldn't have done that. I'm going to go hurt them or whatever. And they're, you know, they're hallucinating on top of it all. So you have to understand that. So things are not, you know, I I don't know if it would have happened if he wasn't, but 
all I know is that he went inside the trailer, he started the curtains on fire in the living room, and he left. It was a nightmare. Oh my gosh, Lana. You you just said that your sister was sexually abusive to you. Yeah. And yet here you are the minute that she's having a baby racing to be there to be with this child to help in whatever capacity you can because that's your character right that's who you are as a person regardless of the circumstances you don't want that little boy to have to deal with anything that you've gone through you don't you want you want it to be better right so of course you called dcfs because what else would you do a rational person wants the best for their nephew and they make those tough calls right this boyfriend who i assume is now in jail right actually he's dead now he crashed his car so i guess that's justice (laughs) um they weren't able to arrest him because there was no evidence that of anything because it was a fire so what they were doing was they were surveillancing him and this and that so that's how he was managing to stay out this whole time afterward. So, you know, that was even more frustrating because we were dealing, um, we were working with the fire marshal, the Dallas County fire marshal, and he just kept saying, you know, I can't, I don't have anything to arrest him. So that in itself was so traumatic. That in itself, when I think about that, I get more mad than any other aspect because it's so awful. um, Right. And so my nephew ended up being in a like a foster situation. By the time I got down there to try anything legally, he had already been kind of like temporary fostered with these people. And so it was going to cost me like $20,000 to try to get a lawyer. And I just didn't have the money. I was young. You know, I had two kids and I still feel guilty about that. But we actually got to know them and we've been out there. Um, You know, they're not our best friends, but we have a relationship. He's 18 now. Well, that's amazing that that you've even been able to to build off of that relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How old was your nephew when all this happened? He was two. So we, I mean, me and my mom have kept in contact. My mom even got grandparents' rights through the state of Texas. Oh, that's awesome. After uh, these people adopted him, because we just weren't sure what was going to happen. And so we had paperwork saying, okay, we get him every summer from this point to that point. And so we ended up, you know, seeing him at least once a year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I've made it my life to make sure that he knows who she is and he understands who he comes from. Well, and good on you because... I mean, so often people are in adoptive situations where they don't get to know anybody, good or bad or, you know, indifferent. Like they, they just don't get to know that their that whole part of right. their life. I mean, again, like I know I've already said this probably like five times, but you are so amazing. Thanks. It just doesn't feel like it, though. People always say that to me, but I, I don't know how to process that because it's almost like it's just my life. You know, so to me, like when I look at someone else's life and they don't have that, I'm like, well, that's weird. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, like my life doesn't seem, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awful what's happened, but it doesn't seem that overwhelming to me at this point. 
you know, at one point it did, but well, um, because you've been through every freaking thing that could possibly happen. I mean, you're a warrior, like literally. Yeah, and you figured out your way to push through these events these events that happen in your life and still come out on the other side, absolutely shining. Yeah. And I, you know, I get a lot of people that ask me what, you know, how do you do it? Or, and I don't know, I don't know other than it's a very, very deep delving feeling inside of me. It's who I am. Like you said, Kim, it's who I am. It's who I always was. Um, I'm very into family. Um, my papa, my grandpa, um, he was everything to me. You know, everything I didn't have at home was everything he was for me. And who he was is who I am. And so um, I think that I, I get a lot of who I am from him because he was just this really kind soul and just did, you know, just always had good intentions, just never was um, vindictive or, and I'm not saying that I've never been that way, but I, I strive to be like him, you know, and that's kind of my, like, he was kind of my hero when I grew up. Well, and what an awesome tribute to him to have you out here still trying to be like him. Like, that's amazing. That's unreal. Yeah. After Lisa died, then um, I pretty much lost it, like, completely. I knew that I was not right at all. And it was like everything that had ever happened in my life came crashing down and I completely lost it. And I literally felt like I was going to just crawl out of my skin. And I called the hospital and I said, I want to commit myself because my sister was committed and she had mental issues and I didn't know what the hell was wrong with me. And I didn't care. I just needed help. And so I took that very important step that changed my entire life because from that point on, I started to realize the work I needed to do for myself. It took a really long time to get through. I had the diagnosis of bipolar and then PTSD, uh, panic disorder, and uh, I think that's it. That's enough. You're <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> able to recognize that. I'm not okay. I need yeah. help. And then you went out and sought that help. And right. once you realize, okay, this is all the work that I need to do on myself. And then you were willing to do that work. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone has the capacity to recognize that about themselves. I mean, I would say that most people think I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Even when they're not. And the fact that you were able to see that and do something about it I mean, there's something to be said for that for sure. Yeah, it was really weird. It was like, I just knew I was not right and I was not right for my kids and it bothered me and it bothered me enough that I wasn't being good to my husband. You know what I mean? As far as like I was crabby and miserable and screaming and crying and acting out. You know, it took a while when I went to actually get the right medicines. Um, that took a couple years, but I've been stable for 13 years. Good for you, Lana. Like you, the fact that you went through all the hard work, like I was say, like saying earlier, like all that self-care, like to really like dig deep into who you are and some of these issues that you might have had and what they stemmed from and to kind of address all of that. I mean, like Tara said, I there are a, 
all of us have all sorts of different traumas that have happened to us, right? And to different degrees. And the fact that you can do this on your own, the fact that you can already, you looked at yourself and you said, it's, it's time to make a change. I have to do this. And now for 13 years, you're still on that path of heading to just happiness. Like, you're an amazing human being and you have an amazing story to tell. Like I, the, part of the whole reason we wanted to do this podcast is because I don't think that people talk open and honestly enough to each other about the different things that have happened in their lives. And if we all just listen to each other a little bit more and listen to your journey and the things that have happened to you and anybody else that comes on this podcast, those are the moments where we can all look at it and say like, you know what, she did it. And she, she found a way she dug deep and figured it out. And she did it. Like, look at you today, you know, you, and we're in such a world now, it feels like where it's always only your best foot is what anyone sees. It's just this best picture, you know, like on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and your picture perfect life that's shown but that's just one second of an entire day. And it's not like that. And there's no one that has this picture perfect all the time kind of life. But everyone, it seems like, feels this need to keep up with that picture. And if everyone just stepped back for just a second and was like, and just let me support this person. Let me not judge this person because maybe this person's going through something that I have no idea about. So instead of me making this snap judgment about a person, let me step back and listen to what they have to say, because maybe we're the same, right? Maybe I can learn something from you. Maybe you can learn something from me. Right. And just because my, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, well, you've been through more, but you know, something, you know, the murder of my sister may affect me the same as, uh, the loss of someone's daughter, let's say. Um, so for me, I try not to be like, you know, people go, oh, you've been through so much more, but it, I, yes, but no. But the fact that you can sit here and say, you know, like all this terrible stuff has happened to me, but that doesn't mean what's happened to you isn't terrible too, you know? Um, okay. So after your sister, what happened from there? So I was working at PetSmart and that was when my first neck surgery happened. And I didn't know at that point, now here comes back the line. So I didn't know that was part of that, but I got very sick with this neck thing and I was down and I was on leave from work on short-term disability. And I got the call that my grandpa had passed and we were crying and everything like that. And um, two days went by and we got a call from the Elgin police station saying that they believed that there was foul play in my grandpa's death. And I just burst out laughing because I'm like, this is a joke. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I was literally like so offended. I was like, no, like this is, we're not doing this again. And so, um, he said, no, I'm serious. And uh, he said, we had a guy come in. He's your grandpa's neighbor. And he told us that another one of your grandpa's neighbors came over to his house. They were drinking together. 
and he admitted that he had strangled my grandpa. What in the world? And that it had taken so long that his hands were getting tired. And they um, asked the guy if he would wear a wire. And the guy said yes. And so the, the guy that killed my grandpa came back in, got caught on the wire, and they arrested him. Wait, before they arrested him, in the meantime, I got a call from the Cook County coroner. Because my grandpa's case went from a death to a homicide, he had to go to the Cook County coroner to be examined. So the funeral director called me and he said, I need somebody to come right now to identify your grandpa. I can't get a hold of anyone in your family. So I went down there and I had to identify him. And I did not know that they had worked on him beforehand and that it was not what I thought I was going to see. Um, and then, yeah, so then they, after I identified him, they labeled it a homicide. Um, they, the guy had broken his hyoid bone. Um, What's the, was there any motive there? Or was this just like the drunk neighbor? What was he looking Um He was on heroin. And my grandpa and him were friends and he had been in my grandpa's house a million times. And my grandpa evidently had been getting tired of him asking for money because he kept coming over asking for money. And my grandpa told him, no, I guess this night. And a neighbor heard my grandpa screaming, no, no, no. And so the guy, you know, was already in my grandpa's house when my grandpa said no. And he, he wasn't even dressed. He already had his night clothes on. I mean, he had a catheter. He was 88 years old. For anybody that has never seen the downsides or the lasting effects of significant drug usage, just between your sister, between her boyfriend, between this neighbor. It's all drugs. Even Lexi's father. I mean, he was a severe alcoholic, 20 years old, but he was an alcoholic. And that to me is why he killed himself because he was always drunk. I don't know that people would do the things they would do, you know, and, and maybe that's where I do get my, um, why I can un not understand it, but why I can say, okay, well, maybe it was because they were so messed up. Like I can use that and be, and say, okay, then I can live with that. You know what I mean? Like maybe this wouldn't have happened. Cause it wasn't their true selves. Yeah, exactly. Um, not that, you know, any of that makes it any better, of course. So your grandfather, um, they, so they arrested the neighbor. They arrested him and then he hung himself in the Cook County Jail. He had no bail, no bond, because my grandpa was a Purple Heart veteran. He was elderly. And the whole thing was he was on heroin and he took $300 out of my grandpa's wallet. So my grandpa got killed for $300. For $300. And so after that, I had completely decided that I was completely numb. I didn't decide, but I, I was. I was in the shock, numb, from that point on, I started getting more sick with the Lyme. Lana, like, there are so many different components of it. Like, every single portion of it, like, it's almost unreal, right? Yeah. The one, you know, one of those instances that have happened to you in your life would have been unreal as it is. Right. The fact that, like, one after the other keeps coming, the fact that you are who you are today is phenomenal.
I, I hope that you recognize the level of hard work you've had to put in yourself and in your family to be who you are. And you should be proud of who you are. You know, you, you, you totally could have taken a different direction. The fact that you're still here and you're still who you are and you still care so much about people and you care, you're so empathetic, you care about your kids, you're willing to help anybody. I mean, that it, it's absolutely phenomenal that you are this person you are today. And you're absolutely just so inspirational. Thank you. I just hope nothing else happens because I really do want to be done with this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's so so like not funny, but I think it's like my way of, you know, lightening it up is to joke about it or, um, and, and I have done some serious hard work. I mean, when, when I say serious, I think you guys can tell how serious I am about it because I don't want to be stuck. I want to break out of the mold and change the pattern for my kids. And I've done that and I'm proud of it, you know? And here you are, you ended up trying to just be the person you were always meant to be. Yep. It's phenomenal. I just want to be a hippie and love and, Peace, love, happiness. I know it sounds stupid, but honestly, that's all I want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm sure uh, your grandpa is, I'm sure, looking down on you, smiling, so proud of you and the woman you are and the way you're carrying on his legacy. Yeah. I know he is. I know he is. I know he's watching. And I always think about him. If I make a bad decision, I'm always like, oh, my God, what would he think? <laughs> It's like my, you know, I have to hold myself up to a standard and he's my standard, you know. Do you have any advice for anybody that might be starting to recognize a downward spiral in themselves, whether it be drugs or whether it just be a family issue that's happened? Is there anything that you can recall that made you do the work? Uh, Yeah, a lot of I noticed that I became very isolated um, and I started noticing a lot of differences um, at some points, even in the past, a a lot now in the past. um, There were times I couldn't even take a shower for a couple days because my depression was just beyond awful. I, I did so much, so much therapy and, you know, even throwing socks, doing, you know, my therapist told me, don't, don't go throw, you know, something hard, just ball up a pair of socks and throw it as hard as you can. So I do little things like that and things like that can help people cope. Um, So like really like finding those coping mechanisms, right. To get you through those moments. Yeah. What would you hope that the takeaway is from your of your story for our listeners? Um, just don't give up because things will get better. I promise they will. They're still hard. I'm never going to say that there's closure. It gets easier and you have to keep working because if you don't keep working, you're going to get stuck. And I found myself stuck a lot of times in my life. So you've had, obviously, more than a lifetime of experience in your life at 44 years old. You've had things happen to you that don't happen in anybody's lifetime. Um, What do you think is the most important life lesson you've learned so far? Um, To love myself. 
Is that a life lesson or? Sure is. That sure is. Yes. I had to forgive myself for a lot, a lot of things in my life. And until I could do that, I couldn't see straight. And when you start to realize who you really are and who you really want to become, that's when you can really focus in and start, you know, getting it out and being who you want to be and just, just do it. And, you know, who you are now in many ways, all that has been shaped by all of these experiences and events that you've had in your life. Because like you said, the first thing that really made you kind of like say, hey, I'm going to change my life is getting pregnant with your daughter. So when you go throughout your life and knowing that all of these things have made you who you are now, looking back at all that, do you have any regrets? Well, the regrets I have are mostly from really when I was really little, you know, not little, but um, when I took the Coke from my dad, that's a huge regret. Not my fault, but I regret it. Big difference. Some people say, oh, well, you know, that's not your fault. No, but it still affects me. Um, Another regret would be, you know, continuing to do that. And the road that took me down was a huge regret. And you know, things that I I would never do. So yeah, I regret that a lot. Um, I don't know about anything else. I know everything has just, it it needed to happen to be where I'm at, I guess, you know, for me to be who I am. It's so refreshing to hear that, I guess, you know, that that is something that I think a lot of people who struggle through trauma, that that is the end goal. That's what you hope to eventually realize that even though all these terrible things happen to you, you wouldn't be you without it, right? Right. And a part of forgiving that part of you, forgiving those people that that did terrible things in your life to you, to others, is to recognize that. And the power in taking that control is huge. This is now your story. Nobody else is dictating it, right? Right. And I honestly feel stronger than ever, um, you know, and, and more bold than ever. Well, Lana, I, I don't know how to begin to thank you enough for sharing this with us. And then um, before you go, though, we do have a couple fun little pop questions that we're <laughs> going to start asking everybody okay. just to lighten the mood. <laughs> so question number one, do you wear underwear or do you go commando? <laughs> I wear underwear. <laughs> All right. Question two, toilet paper over or under? Over. Me too. (laughs) Uh, What's the most ridiculous fact that you know? That Trump is the president. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's your stance on pineapple on pizza? Gross. Yeah, we agree. I think it's disgusting. (laughs) Um, Okay, question five. You're arrested, and what do your friends and family assume it was for? Weed. (laughs) Well, that's legal now. (laughs) Driving with weed. enough for joining us and for sharing your story with all of our listeners. Um, Most of all, thank you for being unapologetically you. Thank you so much. This was so fun.
We are so happy you joined us, and we hope this story inspired you to be unapologetically you. Join us next time for another remarkable journey. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, please reach out to us on our website at unapologeticallyyoupodcast.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at Unapologetically You Podcast. And please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so that we can continue to inspire you.